2: It's How Do We Fix It? with Richard and Jim.
0: One year of Trump and the guardrails of our democracy. Reid Galen.
2: There has to be that set of solutions, or at least that set of principles. Let's not even talk about solutions. That set of principles that can begin to bring enough of us together that can take us off the path we're on, which is sort of it's ugly, it's divisive, and it doesn't get anything done. Donald Trump has been Donald Trump for 71 years. He is a chaotic individual by nature, has little, if any, understanding or knowledge of the legislative process. He's sort of like a semi-truck without a steering wheel, a brick against the accelerator, banging back and forth across the freeway into these guardrails. And we just have to hope that either the thing runs out of gas or slows down or, or comes to a stop at some point.
3: So before we start, let's just say a few words about the community we're building. The show is all about people making connections, regardless of where you live or your political ideology.
0: Yeah, this this show was born out of a frustration that there's so many people complaining and not enough talk about, okay, what do we do with all this and, and make things better?
3: Right. So please... Tell your friends about How Do We Fix It? Spread the word on social media. A good review in iTunes never hurts the cause. And let us know what you want us to cover.
0: And if you want to find out more, our website is howdowefixit.me. The emphasis is on me. (laughs) How How do we fix fix it? it?
3: How do we fix it?
0: Jim, a couple of weeks ago, on a stage in College Station, Texas, five former U.S. presidents, Democrats and Republicans, gathered on the same stage at the same time for an event to raise money for hurricane relief. It was a reminder, and perhaps at this time a really needed reminder, that former political enemies can be comfortable with each other and and also even be friends.
3: Yeah, it was a beautiful image and I think sent a message that we really need, especially at a time when there is so much sort Anger and volatility coming out of the White House. I mean, remember, a lot of those guys had some very fierce political differences in their day as well. So maybe it tells us this too shall pass.
0: One year after Donald Trump won the 2016 election, how strong are the guardrails of our democracy? What are some ways that we can emerge from the tumult, the name-calling, and the profound anger with our values not only intact, but also strengthened for the future? In other words...
3: How do we fix it. <laughs> Our guest is political strategist Reed Galen, who was deputy campaign manager for Senator John McCain's presidential run and who served in the Bush White House.
0: Today, Reed is chief strategist at Serve America Movement. More about that coming up. He's a former Republican, now an independent. Reed Galen joins us via Skype from Park City, Utah. Welcome.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
0: So, Reid, our political divide has deepened over the past year, since the election of Donald Trump. Our civic life, I think it's fair to say, is in a shambles. How much of this can be blamed on the president?
2: Uh, Well, I think certainly that the president has exacerbated an already uncomfortable situation for many Americans. Uh, I think he is probably a a very prominent result of it, not the cause of it, however— um, but you know he does the things he does, whether or not it 's it 's picking fights with the NFL or with Senator Bob Corker from Tennessee. He does this thing because he knows that it it really fires up the people that love him that thirty or thirty five percent of the country who seem almost uh, religiously to follow his uh, his lead. What I think he neither understands nor maybe even cares about is the effect it has on the other 65 or 70 percent of the country.
3: You know, sometimes it seems like he hasn't quite figured out that these people in Congress, he actually needs them to vote on the bills that he wants passed. I think that
2: Speaker Ryan and, and, and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell actually had him played all wrong, which is I think they thought he was going to be a pretty easy vehicle for their Ability to pass legislation and their agenda. What they didn't seem to remember is that Donald Trump has been Donald Trump for 71 years. He is a chaotic individual by nature, has little, if any, understanding uh, or knowledge of the legislative process, and at the end of the day, really just wants something to sign. You know, most White Houses will come to office with a policy agenda they put forward and they push Congress to take action on. Um, you know, this is a situation which Congress isn't going to do all of the work and just deliver Donald Trump a bill. He's not going to sign it.
0: Is Donald Trump destructive for the guardrails of democracy? Is he is he shaking at the fundamental institutions?
2: Uh, you know, I I think that yes, I think the answer is yes. The short answer is yes. But there's a lot of nuance to that question and even more to the answer, I think. Uh, first, I think that the guardrails had already been pretty banged up over the course of the last 10 years or so no fault of of anybody in particular but everybody altogether if that makes sense uh and then what i think you saw is just a continuing distance between voters and those people who claim to represent them in what's really going on in let's call it quote real america and what's going on in washington dc if president trump is now taking office 10 months into this he's sort of like um He's sort of like a semi-truck without a steering wheel, a brick against the accelerator, banging back and forth across the freeway into these guardrails. And we just have to (laughs) hope that either the thing runs out of gas or slows down or, or comes to a stop at some point. But certainly he is not helping the situation.
3: Now, you're a longtime Republican who has now left the Republican Party. Tell us why.
2: So I was born into Republican politics. Um, my dad worked on Capitol Hill for many Republicans for many years. Um, I then went to the University of Texas where I started working for then-Governor George W. Bush and um, you know, then worked for Senator McCain, Governor Schwarzenegger. You, know, you name the, the, the list of names on the marquee. Um, but I was never as conservative as the people for whom I worked. Um, and over the past couple of years, especially living outside Washington, D.C., I realized that the, the party and I just weren't in the same place anymore. I think President Trump was, was that proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. If this was what Republicans were going to be in order to win, that's just not
3: something I was going to be
2: a part of anymore.
3: I've been reading some of your columns over the last year, and you, you had an interesting way of describing Trump's ascension to the White House. You said you watched his 15 largely acceptable presidential nominees fell to Donald Trump's asymmetric political warfare. What do you mean by asymmetric political warfare? Up until Donald Trump, the
2: rules of the political game were you talked about the things you were going to talk about as a candidate. If you were going to hit an opponent or criticize an opponent, um, it was going to be on a policy issue. Uh, Maybe you would dive into a personal issue if it related back to their fitness for office. And most likely you were going to have your campaign do the dirtiest of the dirty work for you. Donald Trump said, I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to act like a schoolyard bully. I'm going to come out, and I'm going to punch each of these guys in the nose, and I'm going to see what they're going to do about it. And none of them were prepared for it. And he is, for better or worse, probably for worse, as instinctual a political fighter as I've ever seen. He knew exactly what the knock on each of these guys was going to be. You saw low energy with Jeb Bush or little Marco with Marco Rubio. Just a way to frame them in such a way that he ridiculed them and literally and figuratively diminished their standing. So do you think
0: Trump is— The first of many or the last of one?
2: We will have many, many people who will trot out what they believe to be the Donald Trump playbook. The difference is, is that they are not Donald Trump and he is. This is a this is a man who spent the last 30 or 40 years really perfecting the New York tabloid media exploitation, using the media to do the things he wanted them to do, even when they didn't want to do it and being willing and able to say whatever he wants to say, and also having 100% name ID around the world before he took office and certainly after he took office. But Donald Trump is certainly one of a kind, at least for now.
0: Well, that points to a question. People always dismiss Donald Trump, say he doesn't have the attention span to be president, that he has zero morality. But in what area is he clever? Is he really almost brilliant?
2: I think whether or not it's with the NFL or taking potshots at United States senators or whoever it is, is that ability to always keep himself at the center of whatever fight we're having, which is why I think you've seen why he gets so angry when he's had senior aides who popped up in prominence, um, never outshining the president, but certainly taking away what he believed to be some of the the light that should be shining on him. If he's not in the middle of it, he's not happy.
3: One thing that's interesting about Trump is – the very things that kind of offend the sensibilities of a lot of people things that don't seem so unpresidential kind of entertain and excite a lot of his his base as you see that 30 35% and it's almost as if we're we have two cultures coexisting in our country that are that look at the world very very differently how did we get here
2: you know whether or not it's the economic change in this country how we you know how we work who we work for, what we do, um, you know, the technological innovations that have really transformed the way that we live our daily lives. Um, You know, I think there are a lot of older Americans who are probably still coming to terms with. And so I think that has also led to a situation in which um, people running for office, you know, have found it far easier to run to their political core, knowing that they only have to secure, you know, the the votes of 51 percent of the, you know, maybe 20 or 25 of, percent of a Republican or a Democratic primary electorate in order to win, and the gerrymandered district then allows them to cruise on back to Washington, D.C., um, you know, without without having to even really think about the idea of compromise or working across the aisle or even working within your own conference to get anything done.
0: And there's also not just a deeper political divide in America, there's a greater economic divide. Could you talk about something that you mentioned in an article, which is the the geographical divide between, say, Marietta, Ohio, where you (laughs) were born,
2: and Park Slope, Brooklyn? Right. So, I mean, so as I mentioned, I was born in this little town. It's an oil and gas town. Uh, The biggest employ the biggest employers in the city were um, the the coal fired power plant and the college uh, where my father went to school and ultimately met my mother. Um, but, you know, it's had, a, it's had a population of about 15,000 people for the last 60 or 70 years. Uh, and so it just sort of bumps down along, you know, along the bottom of the economic scale. You either leave and you never come back or you're stuck there forever. And so it's hard to be optimistic when you don't have the sense that there's a place for you, A, in the world, B, if you have kids, that they're going to do better than you are. And C, you know, when the local pharmacy is giving away naloxone without a prescription so that you can have it in your house in case a friend or a family member ODs on something, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to probably look out every day and say, oh, you know what? The day is going to be a lot better than it was yesterday.
3: And then you contrast it with the folks who generally are doing economically well and are highly educated who live in Park Slope, Brooklyn. There's just a, a
2: distinct difference in how you view the world. Folks in Marietta might very well watch Fox News. Why? Because it reinforces that they're getting screwed. People in Park Slope probably play in PR 23 hours a day. And so just your, your outlook on where you start, just think about how you start your day. You wake up and you say, is this day going to be hard or is this day going to be easy? And not like um, it's not going to be a hard day's work is how am I going to get through the day, right? If you live in Marietta and you are well below the poverty line, you have to ask yourself that question every single day. If you are you know, upper middle class in Park Slope, you don't ask yourself, how am I going to get through today, right? And I think there's a huge psychological divide that I think we're now experiencing for so many of these Americans that clearly came out and showed their displeasure with the system you know, and the status quo by voting for Donald Trump.
0: Okay, so what's next? It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. We're speaking with Reed Galen, a political strategist, former Republican, now an independent, and we're going to switch to solutions. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can
1: already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
0: and think about
1: work.
0: The institutions of democracy, despite all the stuff we've been talking about. So,
2: so why are you an optimist? Um, I think I'm an optimist because we have to be. If, if you're optimistic, you believe, and from that belief stems action to try and make tomorrow better than it is today. You know, Americans are demoralized, they believe that their votes don't matter too often. That's true because either their districts are gerrymandered, or even if it's a competitive district, whatever it is they see out of Washington doesn't improve their lot in life. So now we have to go and we have to figure out, okay, what is it that the people are looking for, not only in Park Slope, not only in Marietta, but in Kansas City, or St. Louis, or Denver, or you name the town, where folks probably share many, many of the same issues on a daily basis, and it is not tax reform, right? Like, It is not these big things that Washington gets itself spun up about. Most of the time is, how do I save a little bit more money? How do I send my kid to college? How do I pay for my health insurance? So these are the kinds of issues. And I think the other part, too, is starting to talk with people instead of talking at them. right? I mean, most political campaigns, this is how they run. You do a ton of polling, then you do a bunch of focus groups, and you come up with five messages that that information has gleaned, and then you say it. Nine million times between the time you find it and election day. You're never asking voters what they think other than in a survey that's 36 minutes on the phone, which means you've already self-selected the person who would sit through that. (laughs) So I think that too often we are not only not talking to enough people, I don't think we're talking to the right people, and we're not asking them the questions that try and get to the heart of what it is they're concerned about and start telling politicians, hey, this
3: is what we want, not vice versa. So how do we begin that process? How do we get to agreement on some of these issues? Well, listen, too much of the research
2: going on right now is why did Donald Trump win? And that's fine from a sort of purely political tactics perspective, but it doesn't get to the heart of how we start to find those tendrils that can start to connect people from Marietta, from Park Slope, from the south side of Chicago, across demographics, across ages, across income levels. There has to be that Set of solutions, or at least that set of principles, let's not even talk about solutions, that set of principles that can begin to bring enough of us together that can take us off the path we're on, which is sort of it's ugly, it's divisive, and it doesn't get anything done.
0: Reed, you raised something kind of interesting about issues and. Sorry, let me, I mean,
2: it wasn't a bad start to that
0: question. <laughs> we'll edit this out, hopefully. Hopefully we will. Sure. Some, somebody will be merciful to, towards me and, and say, okay, we, that, makes, that makes Davey sound bad. We'll, we'll edit it out. What, <laughs> what are some issues that we can agree on?
2: Well, I mean, I think that's, that's a good question. I mean, right now, the only thing most people agree on is that they're unhappy about everything. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I don't know, to be honest with you what uh, what all of those issues are. Um, and I think that's the reason why we need to go out and start talking to, to voters where they live, in the environments they live in, and not at this sort of 50,000-foot level where we ask 300 people in Wisconsin what they think and accept that as the gospel for what people in Wisconsin believe is the biggest issues to our country.
0: Should that be done within or outside the two-party system? I mean, you're an independent.
2: I'm not sure that the two parties, A, are capable... Or be desirous of doing such a thing. And again, they, they control the whole ball game right now. And you know it's always funny. you see that the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee are always at odds about everything, unless there's some court ruling up for debate about campaign finance law that's going to adversely affect both of them. And then they join the same lawsuit on the same side. I mean, I think that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about where their head is vis-a-vis voters and their own power.
3: Reed, you're the chief strategist at the Serve America movement. Tell us a little bit about that organization.
2: Sure. So, the Serve America movement was started in the wake of last year's election because a lot of folks like myself felt the same way, which was if this is where we are, then as far as the two party system is concerned, you can count me out. Um, and so, you know, what we have done over the course of the last, say, nine or 10 or 11 months is really start to put forward Uh, the idea that there is a place for people who no longer feel comfortable, feel disenfranchised or feel left behind by the two party system. Um, And I think that's probably the majority of Americans, at least that's what survey research tells us. So what we're going to do is start going out and talking to these people, you know, the folks all over the country and start to determine, you know, how can we best serve the American people? The American political system does not serve its constituents. It does not serve its customers it serves only itself and the system that it hopes to propagate so we are trying to take a different view which is you know there are people that say oh you have to bring together the center right and the center left you know we we have no litmus test for joining the serve america movement or sam as we call it
0: do you think that that's made easier or more difficult by the rise of social media
2: you know, I mean, I think we'll we'll see. We're going to learn a ton um, over the course of the next year, but all of it I hope additive to our mission of really starting to break down the two party system into a place where more independents are coming out to vote, more independents certainly are running for office. Well, it's extremely, um,
0: it's, it's extremely difficult for independents to run in some states. I mean, for instance, we're in New York, which is mostly uh, run by Democrats. It's really difficult to get on the ballot if you're not either a Democrat or a registered Republican.
2: It is. And, and, and you know, there was a, there was a report by uh, two people out of the Harvard Business School. It, it really outlined over the course of 30 or 40 pages all the different ways that the Republican and Democratic parties collectively work to keep out independents and outsiders. And it's not just New York. I I believe it's, you know, 44 states of one kind or another either have a closed primary uh, or, you know, very, very difficult restrictions on getting on the ballot from dog catcher to president.
3: You know, one thing that I think we're seeing, and Richard mentioned social media, this tendency for the two extremes to be pulling farther apart. And we see it in both parties where the, the sort of mainstream moderate Republicans are kind of being left behind by this Trump wave, and on the Democratic side, we're seeing the rise of the of a much more left wing, um, in some cases, radical kind of progressive wave. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton would be accused of being a Republican today by a lot of right. people in the in the Democratic Party. So, is it possible? I mean, are you are you betting on the idea that those two movements to the margins are opening up more space in the middle for people who? aren't happy with their own parties anymore, not having a voice in their own parties and and want to want to try something new. Well, I I believe that the
2: left right spectrum and continuum that we, we sort of rely on in American politics is both broken and breaking further every day. Um, And I think if you look, there are a lot of people with uh, who are unhappy with how things are. um, And that includes people in the quote middle and people on the quote, you know, the far left and the far right, you know, it's, it's really only those people in the, you know, the establishments of both parties who want to preserve things exactly or nearly exactly as they are today because it works for them. How do you
0: rebuild a, a greater sense of community? It seems like people are split off and so divided. Isn't that part of the problem? We need to restore that sense that we're all in this together. And dare I say it, that compromise is not a dirty word.
2: Uh, I know I think that's a huge part of it uh, you know as as we've seen you know as you mentioned social media a little while ago, um you know it has allowed us to you know stay in constant contact with our friends, whether or not they're across the street or a million miles away. It has also allowed us to make sure that we only stay within the bubble of comfort uh as far as the belief systems that we hold right So you know you used to have to go and whether or you not know, it was water cooler or talker. Or, Thanksgiving dinner, there was some open and spirited debate, even if you disagreed with one another, but you could still be friends. Nowadays, if you disagree on politics, A, the conversation ends right there, and B, you might not be friends anymore. And so, yeah, I think we need to start bringing people back to the table, whether or not that's sharing a meal, sharing a beer, and start trying to figure out how we reconnect each other at a human level. I think we've lost a ton of humanity in this country.
0: So, Before we finish, give us some specifics, whether it's changing uh, gerrymandering or it's uh, allowing uh, a better chance for independents to run for Congress. Uh, What are some what are some ideas to leave us with?
2: Sure. You know, I think the structural things you mentioned, I think, are a good place to start. Yeah, the gerrymandering piece is hugely important. There's a case before the Supreme Court right now to deal with that. Uh, There will be two ballot measures in Colorado. Uh, In 2018, to deal with taking the drawing of these boundaries out of the hands of the legislature and putting it into a commission. Um, And then, yeah, I think that, you know, a a systematic process by which what we call ballot access, which is getting your name on the ballot, in order to make it more possible for more different voices to get on the ballot earlier. Um, But of course, Republicans and Democrats name your state are going to be very loath to try and really make those things open. So it's likely going to be again in states that ballot measures exist, or if it's going to be court cases, this is going to be a long road. Um, but you know, we, we, I think there are, there are fissures in this two party system in this duopoly that I think we should really start turning into chasms.
0: Reed Galen, who is the chief strategist for Sam serve America movement, political strategist in park city, Utah. That's where you are right now. Uh, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
3: So Richard, I'm uncharacteristically kind of depressed right now. Oh,
0: okay. So I'm going to have to sweep up after you. <laughs> well, I mean
3: this, you know, I think um, Reed Galen has some really interesting perspective as a, you know, Republican insider who's become a skeptic of, somewhat about the power of the two parties and the way that they tend to be gravitating towards extremes. But, you know, we've done a lot of shows on this. In fact, in a lot of ways, the whole concept of how do we fix it is based on the idea that people aren't talking to each other enough across partisan cultural divides. And there's a movement here. There's a lot of different people working on how do we foster these conversations, how do we break out of the the divide we have, but I'm not terribly optimistic anything's going to happen any too soon. If anything, I think this this pendulum's going to swing farther in the wrong direction before it starts to swing back.
0: Possibly you're right. Hope, hopefully you're wrong. I see the, the sprouts of growth. And some of the, one of the things where I think that, that Reed Galen has moved me we need to have more independence in our politics. We need to have more people who say, I'm not running as a Democrat. I'm not running as a Republican. I'm running as an independent. We had it briefly in, in New York City with, with Michael Bloomberg, here where we are. We've also had examples of it. Angus King up in Maine who ran as an independent. Lowell Weicker years ago who ran successfully as an independent both as a senator and, and, and governor. Those are just Northeastern examples, and I know there are examples in other parts of the country, but I think that's one political answer is is Hopefully The independent movement And and Reed Galen's group Sam Serve America movement Is is part of this Encouraging more Independents to run I think that's one answer And then Coming out of that answer Is the importance of Making it easier For independents To take part in the Political system It is absurd When states say That people who Register as independents Cannot vote in either A Republican Or in a Democratic primary That's wrong
3: So Having I'm more, having more independence. Yeah, because
0: when you look at polling, there are more people, more Americans now identifying politically as independent than is either Republican or Democrat.
3: And yet the two parties are moving, you know, farther th- apart to, to, to the margins. And, you know, we talked a little bit about gerrymandering and, and some sensible reform of how the districts are drawn up. When you divide up Republican-Democratic voters through gerrymandering, That actually helps both parties stay in power forever. Uh, and, you know, they like the fact that they don't have to compete that much in their own district. So we
0: have to have more independent, nonpartisan voting commissions yeah. in, in states and yeah. hopefully encourage movement for that. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meg. <laughs> <laughs> so. Our producers, Miranda Schaefer. Our music's by Lou Stravinsky. And this show is a production of Davies Content. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Send us your ideas on what you'd like us to talk about, Uh, you can email us at daviescontent at gmail.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
1: Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig.